I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. We need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's East Side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. Our guest on What's Next, Jody Gerhardt, Senior Program Director at Horizon Health Services. Jody, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate having me with us and also your experience and expertise because, you know, we've talked on this program a variety of times about addiction, substance abuse, along those lines. One thing that we haven't really touched upon is we've talked about the impact and what those individuals are going through. We haven't talked a lot about what counselors go through in dealing with this. And this is kind of this is really what you are in charge of, right? That overseeing a group of people whose job it is to take on people with mental health issues, substance issues. Um, curious, maybe just an overview of, I can imagine the stresses on people who are dealing with people with difficulties every day, but what is it really like? Wow, there's um, there's really good moments and then there's really, really tough moments. And I think, you know, a lot of these counselors, they have what it takes to do this work, but I don't know that they always realize how taxing and how challenging it can be day in and day out to listen to some of the difficult stories that they hear from the individuals that we see each day. And I don't think that all counselors realize that sort of how we manage things personally each day really matters in terms of, you know, how we take care of ourselves and the support that we have around us um, all plays into the work that we do in the field with the individuals coming in to see us. So I think it's very, it's, it's a very broad, um, a, a broad kind of experience. Um, it's different for every counselor but there's definitely a lot of challenges. I can imagine the challenges. Maybe we can talk a little bit as we move on about maybe how those challenges have evolved in the last few years. And we'll certainly hear a lot more about mental health uh, today than 10 years ago. I would yeah. say that's obvious. Uh, at the same time, let's just maybe talk about how things work in your clinic. Somebody comes to your clinic. Mm-hmm. They may have been referred perhaps maybe even just walked in off the street. Yep. What happens then? So uh, we actually have, I am responsible for a very unique clinic at Horizon where most of what we do is um, manage, you know, access to services. So we, we are an intake-based clinic. We see all new patients for the most part. Every day of the week we have an open access clinic where people can walk in when they're ready to see somebody and there's counselors available to see them in that moment. Wow. So we don't often know what is happening for someone. It's their very first time in the clinic. 
we have all sorts of experiences with that. You know, people are really anxious to come in, of course. They have a lot going on. They've never done this before. For the counselors, they hear a lot, a lot of stories that can be overwhelming. We have people come in who are homeless. We have people come in who are, you know, just out of the hospital after an admission for a suicide attempt. We have people actively using things like heroin, fentanyl, all the substances that are out there that we know are potentially fatal uh, right now. They're, you know, laced and they're not what people think they are um, oftentimes. We work very much as a, a very close-knit team. Nobody can do this by themselves. Speaking for the counselors, they utilize each other. They utilize the supervising team so well to be able to take care of these individuals coming in. So on a very first visit, a patient might get linked with a doctor. They might get linked with recovery peer or recovery coach. Uh, lots of people don't have support in the community. And so it's nice that we have these resources and these interventions that we can use right away uh, to get people connected um, so that they might uh, have a better outcome. You mentioned how, understandably, a patient would be anxious. Yeah. As someone who's done this and somebody now who supervises other people doing it, I mean, what are the techniques to calm that anxiety? Or is it just something you have to kind of feel your way through and experience? I think that once most individuals are in the door and they feel welcomed, um, they have a comfortable place to sit, the, the clinic is great, it's nice, it's brand new. Once the counselor takes them back and introduces themselves, oftentimes you sort of see that anxiety start to subside. Mm. It was just sort of the idea of coming somewhere new and talking to someone about something very personal, something that is very scary for them, something that they've been dealing with for a while. So many people don't ask for help. So in the process of doing that, I just think it's, it's a bit anxiety provoking. Some people remain anxious and the counselors are skilled and trained to be able to recognize that, maybe stop what we're doing take them through a breathing technique or something to help ground them, relax them. There's also lots of skills that counselors have to be able to sort of just validate what somebody's going through, just listen to them. And I think that in of itself is enough to help sort of make them feel more comfortable. You're at the uh, location, the clinic's over on the boulevard. Yeah. So it's new. So you have that. And I'm when we think of going into, let's just we'll just put it a medical office. How is that for a general yeah. general thought, and what that might mean to anybody? Is there a certain intentionality in the way it's designed to try to reduce that anxiety when somebody comes in? That there's a different feel to it that can be welcoming, or is this is it going to be similar to what we may have experienced in other locations? it's going to be similar to our other locations. We certainly love to make our clinics very welcoming, though, from our, you know, the, the initial individuals who greet those patients coming in, um, just being very warm, very welcoming, very non-judgmental 
to, you know, just having a comfortable place for people to sit if they need water or something to drink, being able to offer that to them, making sure people aren't waiting too long, um, that it's a nice, seamless sort of process to get them in with their counselor. Because if they're anxious, we don't want them to have to sit there (laughs) and wonder and worry for a long period of time. So try to be just very intentional in that. Just knowing that people are going to be feeling that way and doing everything we can to try to assist. There's some soft music playing. Um, just, you know, there's a TV screen with, like, different... Uh, no cable news. No cable okay. news. I can't, no. I can only... <laughs> but, like, resources that sure. are available. Exactly. Or... I could only think with that. Yeah. No, definitely not. Anxious. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. uh, you mentioned how a, a counselor... Once they're working now with a patient, they bring them in first meeting, and they have techniques or, or ways of trying to work through and understand what's going on with the patient. Take us through that a little bit. What might you do to recognize this person's anxious about this or how to draw them out? What, I'm interested in how that, that tech, those techniques. I, I would have to say, again, this isn't just something that is innate. This is something that people are trained to do. I think um, sometimes people will say that they're anxious. Sometimes people will say, this is the first time I'm doing this, or I was really nervous to come in today. Um, Sometimes it's body language. Mm. Um, There's lots of things people do. They can shake their legs. They can kind of be slouched in their chair. They can be very quiet, sort of guarded. Um, You know, all different ways that we can sort of read what might be going on with somebody. and, and really tune in to it, not ignore it. Um, you know, oftentimes we'll just ask someone, you know, we'll kind of step away from or turn away from, I should say, like our computer where we're inputting information and just sit and just eye contact, listen, be present, um, and just show the individual that we're really interested in what they have to say thank them for coming in, acknowledge that it's difficult, you know, um, those kinds of things can help. Um, But it's not hard to recognize that somebody's anxious or somebody's scared um, or someone hasn't done this before. So really just explaining what we're doing, um, I think, is helpful. Oftentimes we'll just ask them to, you know, take a minute. Let's just take a deep breath together this is, this is hard. Um, we recognize that it's hard. We really want to be with them in that moment and just, you know, breathe with them or, you know, just take a moment to, to talk about something that they really enjoy, something that they're really passionate about um, or excited for, just to sort of ground them and help bring them down from a place of, well, I'm going to have to tell this person all these personal things right now. Or, you know, something just happened before I even came into this appointment today because that happens um, where people are in unhealthy environments all the time, every day. And so just recognizing that. Use the term being present. I think that's something that we all try to be uh, a little bit, not always easy to do. Again, back to it, for a counselor to be present, 
when, like you said, there's information they they need to find out from this uh, from this individual as well. Being present, uh, how do you go about doing that? Is this something that you've learned over the years? Yeah, you know, and I think it's not always easy. Mm-hmm. If I'm being honest, sure. right? Um, you know, I, I we talk to people all the time just about the human part of the work that we do. You know, we hear things that are tough to hear. Some things take us off guard. We weren't ready to, you know, we weren't expecting something mm. to happen or we weren't expecting someone to say something that they they said. But along those same lines, because we're human, we have our own stuff going on all the time, every day. Um, and we can't bring that into these visits. So part of our ability to be present is our ability to be self-aware and ensure that we're taking care of ourselves as clinicians, knowing very well that if we're not able to be present, we likely shouldn't be there that day. Mm. We shouldn't be doing that work that day because you can't really fake that, right? If you're present or you're not. So um, in order to connect with our patients, we need to be present. In order for them to feel the empathy that we're providing, that we're listening to them, we have to be present. Have you or your staff members, I think I already know the answer is yes to this, but (laughs) uh, a case comes in, a person comes in with their stories or a story that just changes the day for you and you came in ready to be present and you were present and all of a sudden this particular moment, this particular story has changed that outlook. Does that happen? All the time. Yeah. It it happens a lot. Not every clinician is at that place to be aware of it, but I think once they are aware of it and – they can kind of tune in to themselves and how they're doing and how they're experiencing it. Um, we're able to have more open conversations about it. So there are definitely clinicians who will seek out supervision and support following a session because they know, right, that they're not in the same place they were before that session happened. And in most cases, we are able to talk through it, work through it, and be able to continue with our day. And then there's times where we can't, and we need to take some time, and and that's that's okay. So a person comes in to your clinic, and they meet with the counselor. You say that these are all new patients, pretty much. Half of our day, each day at our intake clinic, is seeing new patients. Half of our day is seeing those new patients a second or okay. a third time, and then we connect. Um, We have um, lots of other clinics and locations. We connect with the best clinic, the best location, the best counselor for that individual after that assessment period is over. Sometimes we keep patients in our clinic, but most of the time we're really triaging cases to the best clinic, best clinician for that individual. And so there are, like you said, there's a variety of, of clinics. So where might a, a patient go next after this initial visit really or these initial on, visits? It, yeah, it really depends on where they where they live. Okay. It depends on what kind of services they're looking for. 
Um, some of our clinics specialize in different different kinds of things. You know, we have like a young adult family clinic, a couple of those. We see our we see children out of one of our locations. Um, at intake, we don't particularly see children, uh, but we do see young adults and adolescents. Um, you know, some of our locations do intensive outpatient services. So if it was someone who, um, you know, was out of a hospital program, um, looking for greater care um, for stabilization, we might refer to one of our clinics that offer intensive services. Um, sometimes it just boils down to the clinician and finding someone who has a specialty in the area the patient is presenting in. So maybe somebody is a veteran and we have you know a handful of clinicians that really specialize in veterans work or maybe the patient is you know postpartum and we have specialty services in perinatal work. Um, so sometimes it's just about linking them with the right counselor. And then other times it's about the right location for that individual. We are talking with Jody Gerhardt on what's next. Jody is the senior program director at Horizon Health Services. Uh, one of the reasons why we wa- wanted to get you in here, Jody, is really to kind of talk about this experience that it is for counselors. Can you take us through just, you mentioned a little bit before how difficult it could be. Is it always, do, do, is there always that sense of pressure and on a counselor? I, I, I can only imagine what it must be like after, because you probably see multiple patients in a day. Sure. And that has to be its own kind of difficult thing to deal with. But what about that pressure that, that is being felt? Is that something that's, that comes with the job? everyone sort of feels that in a different way I think it's kind of a unique experience that every counselor might have and every day looks very different too um, in the world of behavioral health and community mental health and um, so I there are days where it likely feels heavier for a clinician based on again we don't know exactly who's presenting and if we do know who's presenting we don't exactly know what their situation might be that day because you know I saw them last last week and between last week and this week so many things could have happened they present differently every time that they come in so it kind of depends that pressure I would say for most counselors um, exists for various reasons. It could be that, you know, I saw a couple people in a row who were both, you know, both just had a lot going on. It could be that I also have a lot going on today. And it could be that, you know, something else happened in my day that I wasn't expecting, a phone call or you know, someone telling me that my patient's in the hospital because they had an overdose or, you know, and the list kind of goes on and on. I think for the most part, counselors have the support, the guidance, the education um, to be able to manage most of the things that we deal with on a daily basis. But when it's a lot, piled on top 
that's when I see most counselors struggle the most. Um, the one nice thing is that we meet with our counselors all the time, individually, in a group. A daily, weekly? Every week individually, sometimes wow. more than that. I know myself and my clinical supervisor, Cassie, in the clinic, we keep our door open for our counselors. Um, we use different means of communication with them throughout the day. We love to chat in teams with them. They can be in a session and have a difficult time and need help and send us a message and we will assist. Um, so I, I believe that our counselors, not just at intake but across the agency, feel supported and know that they're never alone. They're never alone in a situation. They're never alone trying to decide what to do or how to help somebody. They can always ask for help. I think that helps with the stress level. I really do. Or just knowing my supervisor's door is always open. I can end this session, go in, sit down, and talk about what's happening for me as a result of that session. And I think that helps kind of ease the, that overwhelming or that stress feeling that counselors might have in a given day. How about for you as a supervisor, are there not so much coping me mechanisms for you, but for you, the counselors that you're working with? Are, what kind of techniques do you use? Honestly, it's a great question. I, this is very much a parallel sort of thing. A lot of the things that we teach our patients to do, we also do. They're like human techniques for just managing stress, anxiety, feeling overwhelmed. There are so many resources for people. Um, there's apps. There's you know so many things that weren't there when right, I started right, my career right. for people to be able to um, relax, unwind, de-stress, maybe just do some sort of meditation or guided imagery for a minute or two. Guided just imagery? To sort of it's kind of like meditation where the individual on the other side is sort of taking you through um, okay. a meditation or, um, you know, helping you sort of envision yourself being in a more peaceful place for a few minutes um, just to sort of remove yourself from that stressful moment that you're having um, and be able to sort of relax and take care of yourself so that you can then move on with your day. So we teach our counselors the same kinds of skills that we teach our patients. We use those skills, which is actually kind of nice because when you go through a breathing technique or some other sort of mindfulness technique with a patient, in turn, you're sort of getting that same, hmm. that same, you know. Experience. Experience, absolutely. So people who are anxious, can also make you feel a bit anxious, <laughs> right. right? That's just sort of, and all of us have some anxiety, um, and at times it's higher, um, and that's very much a human quality. So we just do a lot of work trying to normalize how people are feeling in the moment and just uh, helping them feel comfortable talking about it and not holding it in, which only increases those feelings, right? right? If we're not taking care of ourselves, that builds and builds, and we begin to take that into our personal world as well. Um, and then nothing really feels too effective. As counselors, we don't feel effective. As 
partners. We don't feel effective as moms or dads or, you know, we can kind of carry that into our personal life. That's really when burnout happens, when we're not feeling effective in any, any place. Feeling effective. That is interesting that you, you said that. And obviously, it's got to be important for a counselor. How does it, is it a feeling of feeling effective or is, are there concrete elements to these meetings that a counselor is having with a patient that says, I've done, I've done what I needed to do. This is, I, I've done the best I could. This has been, to use the word, effective. I think it's both. Okay. Right? Because you can do everything you were supposed to do for someone and still know they're not okay. Mm. Right? And, and we're sending them back potentially into the environment that we know is unhealthy or traumatizing or um, where they struggle with whatever it might be from mental health concerns, self-harm, substance abuse, whatever those things might be. Um, I, think, I think to answer the question, it's, it's a combination of I did all these things, I offered all these things, and at the end of the day, it still doesn't feel like it was enough because I know that person still went home to an abusive environment or, um, you know, whatever it might be. What about expectations uh, a counselor might have for themselves? Expectations for what they believe is going to happen or should happen in these in these meetings. How much does that weigh on on a counselor? It weighs a lot, and it you know it comes down to I think experience. I think newer counselors coming into the field they just so badly want to help. Right. That's what um, I mean. I, I, I can see good, that. Right? Yes, yeah. they have the heart and such good intentions. Um, right? And and we, we can't fix everything. We can't repair things all the time. So there's sort of a sense of urgency, right, to mm. take care of everything this individual is bringing in with them. And we have to remind counselors that this these are things that this person has had you know, as part of them for a very long, long time. And, and you can't fix it. We don't really fix any way. We, we guide, we support um, that quickly. But I do think counselors put a lot of pressure on themselves to have all the answers, um, do all the right things, you know, solve people's problems. Um, and I don't know that, that that's something that is likely, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a big learning experience for new counselors, too. Existing counselors, I still, I still think that there's pressure. Um, again, we hear stories all day, every day, and we jump to wanting to help and coming up with solutions and interventions and other people who might be able to help and other resources that might be able to help. And we leave those sessions after 45 minutes or an hour, and that's not enough time. Um, and I think counselors do put a lot of pressure on themselves. And that's, again, you know, that drives us right back to self-care and self-awareness and asking for help and 
um, having their own support system, right? And also just realizing what what is in our scope of practice. What can we physically do? What are we able to do? And what can't we really do in regards to some of the work and some of the some of the things that people need, right? You've been doing this now for over two decades, right? Yeah. Um, what were some of the lessons that you learned, the things you can't do as a counselor? It probably came pretty early. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I still, I feel like I still learn every day. Um, but, you know, what I just said about fixing people's problems, right? We can't. You know, I sort of explain it sometimes to patients like, I'm in the driver's seat with you. Like, I'm guiding, you know, I'm part of your journey, but I'm not leading your journey. You need to lead your journey, and I will follow along, and I will guide, support, give you feedback if maybe there's a turn you made that maybe we should rethink. Um, but I think I was a little bit more in the driver's seat when I started in a, you know, in, you know, in the field, just thinking, I'm going to get this person where they need to be. And that's not, that's not how it works. Um, I need to understand where they want to go. Um, and that's not up to me. And, and help them figure out exactly what roads we might take to get there. But they don't want to take those roads sometimes. Right. So then, you know, recognizing that and still being able to assist um, and helping them up if they if they fall down. It's not the, well, I told you that wasn't going to work. Right, right. No, that's not how we can do it. So I definitely learned that lesson. I learned that it takes time, right? So we do get that sense of urgency in the work we do because a lot of the people we see have been in pain um, for a long time, right? And it's like you just want to help them not feel that anymore. Um, but it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a day or two. Or therapy takes years sometimes. So really, just helping people understand that people come in with the expectation sometimes that we are going to fix what it is that they have going on, and we are going to fix it now um, because they don't want to live like this anymore either. You know, so I think those are the things that I and that it just it takes an army. It takes an army. I need support. I need to recognize I need support um, as a clinician, um, just like they need support. So, Jody Gerhardt is our guest here on What's Next from Horizon Health Services, Senior Program Director. Uh, Jody, I also, I'm, I'm taking a guess of sorts here, but I can imagine that sometimes these interactions between counselor and first time a relatively new patient can be profound. Is that the case? I mean, where you meet somebody, they move you, they move, they maybe move your spirit, maybe change your lives. Does that happen? Yeah, I think it's just that, that human connection thing, right? And really, connection is one of the most important things that we can help with in the work that we do. So I think if we're human, which I know most <laughs> counselors are not, 
in doing the work that they do because they don't care. Um, it's the opposite. We care a lot. Um, that yeah, we are moved every day by the individuals that we see and we speak with and what their story is, the journey they've been on, how hard they've worked, their resilience is remarkable. They don't always see it. We see it. It's tough not to be impacted by that mm. part of the connection. What does the general public not understand? Because as we mentioned, a lot has changed in terms of mental health. Awareness is higher now. I've, I don't think I even have to put these words in your mouth. They probably needs to be a little higher or maybe a lot higher. But what does the, what, what the, should people understand about what's going on in these connections, in these, in these meetings, and what, what the type of path that is ahead for somebody who, who takes that first step? I just think that, in general, counseling can be effective for anyone. Whether we're, you know, struggling at our worst or we're doing okay, but we're aware that there are things that have been on our path behind us that continue to impact us today. So even if it's just about talking about those things, but in regards to every other area of our life we're managing okay we're you know we're going to work and we're taking care of the kids and we're feeling effective when we just know that there's something that gets in the way sometimes and we really want to acknowledge it and understand it better for ourselves counseling is effective for that so i think the biggest thing i would say is that there's nothing wrong with counseling. Um, a lot of people find it extremely effective to talk to somebody that's not within their friend circle or family circle just to get some unbiased, you know, is that a, Is that a key element? Support? I think so. Yeah, I think so. That maybe even friends and family can only do so much and maybe even might be part well, of the problem. Could be. Or maybe just have like just that connection to that individual already where you might not get that honest feedback. You might not be able to sort of put those puzzle pieces together that, um, you know, A and B are connected to C and D maybe. Maybe you feel this way today because of this. That somebody who isn't really directly involved in that person's life might be able to see in just a different way or help someone see, guide them to see on their own. You know, sometimes family members tell us what we want to hear. <laughs> yes, right. It's not a bad thing necessarily, but, you know, they'll say, no, 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 you're fine. You're, you're doing great. What do you mean? And they sort of talk us out of something that we are pretty sure we know, right? And so time just keeps going. And if that keeps arising that concern keeps arising for you or it keeps getting in the way of relationships that you're having or connections that you're trying to make or just feeling effective in a certain area then it's something to explore whether it's helpful or not you want to determine that on your own i think that's one of the biggest things 
is oh. that there is still a stigma about oh, right. counseling and mental health and, you know, substance abuse is part of mental health. How about for just counseling in general? Uh, has it changed in your time? I think one of the most significant things that has changed counseling is our experience as with COVID. Mm, okay. Um, and we started to see more and more people open to talking about how that experience has impacted their life. And we've seen a lot more people come in for anxiety, depression. You know, that period of isolation for some people was, was truly truly difficult um, and then our ability to get back out there and start to connect with people again was was really hard too so I definitely think that more and more people are seeking counseling for support on the mental health side and the substance abuse side but certainly the mental health side and I mean, COVID was a, a great example of, of something that was a major impact but at the same time I hate to use the term worse is um, the mental health are mental health issues worse now than they were 20 years ago? Is there a, a greater societal stress, for lack of a better term? I'm, I'm kind of stumbling with my words here, and I no, apologize if absolutely. I'm being inappropriate. But no. uh, just would you say that that's the case in some regard? I, I would say that from what I saw early in my career and what I see now, whether it's just more people being willing to tell their story and seek support or it's that things are worse. I, I, I do think there's there are reasons for things to be harder now than maybe before. We've certainly been through a lot of things as a in the world, as a you know, as a community, you know. Um, and you know, social media is you know, people are experiencing much different, a much different world than I did. Sure. You know, growing up and early in my career. And I, I see how that certainly plays into people's mental health and their um, overall well-being. Hey, can you explore that a little bit for us, though? I mean, I, interestingly, you brought up social media. That is most certainly something that is different now than it was 20 years ago or 40 years ago when I was coming out of out of college. I mean, it's far different in that regard. So, can you see? So, you do see how it is impacting people to a certain extent. Um, we don't necessarily say that's the main problem, yeah. but it is. I think technology in general, right? Technology in general and the idea that we are more connected in some ways to technology than we are each other, like that human connection. In, in a lot of cases, we see that sort of technology connection as, you know, being greater than human connection. Right. Um, and I think that's the impact that we're seeing. So... People are okay in some instances with isolating and being connected only to technology. And so um, that's tough. We're seeing increased depression, uh, increased isolation, um, and that, you know, those symptoms can lead to, to, to other things, certainly self-harm, suicidality, 
overdose, people using alone because they're isolated, right. um, not using all of the supports that are out there um, because they're disconnected. One other question about social media. Um, the counselor guides, they don't instruct, but are, are there cases where you would just, you could see, stop using social media for a while. <laughs> I mean, I think when you build the right relationship with a patient in the behavioral health world, in the medical world, whatever you know world we're, we're in, um, we, we do establish sort of a safe environment where we can say those things when we need to. Maybe not right off the bat. Sure. They might go the other way and not want to come back and <laughs> right, see me, right? Right. right. Um, but as you start to develop those relationships, individu individuals are more able to sort of tolerate that feedback. Like, hey, did you ever notice that you spend more time connected to that game or that, you know, TikTok or Instagram or whatever it might be then you do connect it to actual human people. And I wonder what kind of impact that's having, having on your mental health. You know, so you've you had that kind of conversation. Say those things, you know, once you've established rapport and engagement with somebody. So you have had those kind of conversations. Oh, absolutely. And what, uh, can you share some of the responses that you get from that? That's interesting. Most people are aware of it. You know, um, it is sort of a choice. And their comments might be, I don't have anyone to spend time with. Mm. Or I'm, you know, I feel judged by other people. And I don't feel judged by the individuals I play this game with. Right? Um, there's lots of reasons why people don't connect outside of technology right now. I think COVID had an impact. I do. I'm certain it was happening before COVID too. Right, right. We were just made more aware of it during COVID. And, you know, a lot of individuals didn't have much of a choice than to sort of connect through gaming or social media platforms during COVID because we were in our house, you know, not really going near people. So, but yeah, people talk about it. Okay. And, and you know, we kind of started the conversation off about the pressures that are on counselors. And that's one of the reasons why we really wanted to have you in here because you can give us that experience both as being a counselor but as someone who has over, who's overseeing uh, people who are trying to help others as well. So let's maybe just go through maybe that process. You said that there was a lot of outreach. Keep your door open, trying to always make sure that you're meeting with your counselors. Take us through, through some of those conversations I'm asking to be as general as possible, <laughs> obviously. Um, but yeah, you know what what you're hearing from your counselors, and perhaps maybe how things, for lack of a better term, can be resolved and help them get back to being effective. I think uh, we've had, you know, there's a number of cases that I can think of over the past month where a counselor needed to kind of regroup mm. in you know, one of our offices after or have another counselor join them. We've had just in general situations of domestic violence where, you know, again, like I mentioned to you before, we know we can offer, there's so many resources for domestic violence in the community, but there's also, you know, a great fear 
for an individual to get help in that area. Um, and so that can feel really helpless and hopeless for a clinician. It feels very helpless and hopeless for the patient. Right. It can feel very helpless and hopeless for the counselor as well. And, you know, in a, in a couple situations over the past month, those counselors just didn't feel like they did enough to help the individual who was experiencing domestic violence. You know, people call in crisis. They call, you know, in the midst of a situation whether it be an abusive situation or, or something else, and we can give them resources, but we're not really equipped to go in and remove them from their environment and get them to safety. So we need to help put those resources out there and hope that when they are in the right place to utilize them and take them, they will and they will get the help that they need. But not all individuals are in a place to be able to take those in that moment so then what that feels like for the clinician who says I know I gave them what I could but it just feels like I should be able to do more to be able to come in and sort of talk that out and have some sort of validation right that you know you did everything you could do and it's still hard and we recognize that and what if we did this and this what if we checked in with that individual in a couple of hours what if we oh, you can do that? that you can okay yeah absolutely or anybody on the team okay. can do that so we can tell a patient you know what if i can't check in with you later is it okay if i have my supervisor jody check in with you we're just we're going to be thinking about you and concerned about you and want to make sure that you have the resources that you need when you need them um, or at least make sure you're safe you know, throughout the day. We do that a lot. We do that all the time. Not everybody is ready to engage in change right when they give you all the things that they're going through. And we're like, okay, we're going to help you right now. Right, right. Um, and they're not ready. They are ready to tell us what's going on, but they're not necessarily ready to take that next step. And we've got to just be there and be understanding of that and that's hard to do so. yeah I would, I would say especially since you brought up about domestic violence conversation i had a few years ago with an advocate for victims of domestic violence and the something that was brought to my attention the control factor that goes on inside those relationships you know from the outside looking in leave but Absolutely. there is something going on inside that it is moves well beyond yeah. Thing. And we've got to we've got to remember that, right? And there's so many things that we could do to try to help that individual because we want to need to they asked for help that could actually put that individual in more danger. Mm. We've got to remember that. That is part of that sort of helpless hopeless place that a counselor could feel. Um and all the reason why we work so closely together. And we let every counselor know that they do not need to manage this alone. There are so many layers and levels of support for counselors. They do have to utilize them, right? Because if I didn't know a counselor was going through something like that, I'm then not offering the support that they need. So they've got to bring it forward. But again, we talk about this at length with our counselors. Just the kind of self-care and the kind of 
awareness that goes into the work that we do. You're not just providing counseling services to these individuals. You are also taking care of yourself every single day, seeking supervision and support every single day, or you won't feel effective. And then what happens if you don't feel effective? And we play the whole tape through. Um, There's so much training we offer counselors at the beginning and throughout their, their time. So you're actually um, you're you're seeing some of these interactions that perhaps uh, a recording or or perhaps uh, of what a counselor is talking with a patient with. We do uh, so much observation. We join sessions. We we do some taping as okay. well. But joining the session tends to just come be in yeah, even better in. because yeah. we can model things then as well. If, right. if a counselor needs something modeled when they're when they're new and even when they're not new. Right. Sometimes someone will just say, Hey, would you join me for my next session with this individual? And most of our most of our patients are very open to having other observers or other counselors in the room as well. So So what about uh so the counselor finally, after these meetings with patients and talking with their supervisors and, and kind of going through things, what's the advice for them when they walk out the door at the end of the day? We talk about, we're a, we're a very close team and, and I've been on a lot of teams and I'll tell you one of the reasons that so many people stay and do this work is the connection that we make with other counselors and other supervisors and there's just a an amazing connection at Horizon that you just don't find everywhere. I know you don't. So that is probably the thing that carries us all, including myself as the program director. I need that too. I'm not, um, I don't not feel these things that the counselors feel. I still do too. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing the work. We feel it. We talk so much about, you know, what are you going to do to take care of yourself tonight? Here are some ideas. You know, we, we talk about it all the time with our counselors. Self-care is one of the biggest things. Uh, just to ex- extend on that just a little bit, of self-care. We hear that conversation around here in this building occasionally yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I to, I'm ready to take some advice from, yeah. from, a, from a trained counselor. And I'm, well, What about self-care? What, what, what might that mean? It means something different to everyone. It really does. And, and we won't ever say any one thing is better than another. But it's, it's what can you do to take care of yourself today, tonight, each day, so that when you come back to work tomorrow morning or on Monday, you feel present and able to do the work that you do for the individuals that are coming in. What is it that you need to do? And everyone, some people, I don't run, but some people run. Right. I see that as more stressful. I don't know. (laughs) 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 But everybody has, and and that's the whole idea of self-care. It's like, what is your thing? Okay. What what are the things? Do you give you uh, do? Uh, ideas though to explore? Or, um, we talk, yeah, we talk about it. Um, sort of, you know, what do people do? People share what they do to self care, just to give other counselors ideas. Did anybody ever give you advice? Advice? No. Something to try for your own self care? Well, I hear that people do all kinds of amazing things. Yeah. Running, I won't do. No. Yoga was something that someone suggested early in my career that I. I enjoy oh, um, very, good. very much or um, 
you know, even just like some stretching or that kind of thing. Music. Uh, music is a good one. Um, just being with family or friends and like really being with them. You know, a lot of the skills we teach for mindfulness, um, you know, we practice ourselves. There's some apps that, that people really like. Like there's a calming app and another mindfulness app. So sometimes if I have things going on in my own personal life, but I also know that there's heavy things going on at work too, I might have to step it up a notch mm. um, and do more than I would normally do. But, you know, everybody has their thing. I have a hot tub. I very much enjoy using it on a very regular basis, <laughs> even imagine. in the winter, um, because that's where I sort of, that's my place to sort of say, okay, this is where I'm going to de-stress today. I'm just going to breathe and I'm going to, I'm going to sit here and it feels great. So I think, you know, we just, we don't stop talking about it and that, that way it's just always in everyone's ear. But I think we do that with our the people we see too. It's like, what are you gonna do tonight to take care of yourself? Or how are you gonna how are you gonna not hurt yourself tonight? How are you gonna not use tonight if mm. that's what you wanna do? You know, we're always talking like about being proactive and planful around how we're gonna take care of ourselves. So we just we have to do the same thing as clinicians and supervisors and anyone in the behavioral health field or medical field likely too. And you know, finally, as we wind down here, we've been talking about the, the counselors, but let's maybe just for a moment just get back to patients or more importantly, perhaps potential patients, people who need to make that first step into a, a clinic and reach out for some help. What's your thoughts for them? I know it's, it's hard. Um, it's hard to want to come in and talk to somebody that you don't know about something personal but just remembering that, you know, taking that first step could mean just a, a, a just a, a new path, a new road on your journey that you didn't see possible before. I think if we don't do anything different, everything just stays the same, right? Maybe it's so, worse. It gets worse for a lot of people. Yeah. So I think while it's it's the unknown and it's scary it's also scary to stay where we're at sometimes and know that things are only going to feel worse or get worse so just try it once come in and talk to somebody once and just see for yourself so you can make that informed decision around whether this is for you or this isn't for you but give us a try give us a chance and we're not perfect either hmm. we're human too but we certainly want to be able to make that connection with anybody out there who's struggling and hasn't tried. Well, we appreciate you coming and sharing some insight into your place and to your colleagues as well. This has been a, a very helpful conversation. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Jody Gerhard, Senior Program Director at Horizon Health Services with us on What's Next this morning. This is What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station. <laughs>